Uh, this morning we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We're going to do the latter half. Last week I did uh, the first half. And so I will, I will um, I'll read this morning and then I'll pray for the preaching of the word. And this time I brought my glasses. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we'll start in verse 16. We'll read all the way through the end of the chapter. Just a few verses up to chapter, or verse 22. God's word says, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so does the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Let's pray. Father, this morning as we dive into the text, Lord, I ask that, that you would help us to see in your word your goodness, Father. Oftentimes we can read texts and, and be discouraged by what is on the paper, but Father, you have a purpose for, for this, this text. You have a purpose for us hearing it this morning. So I pray, Lord, that you would uh, use me as an instrument to, to convey your words, to convey your message, not, not my message, your message, Father God. Use me this morning. Holy Spirit, come this morning. Help us to understand your word to hear clearly what you would have for us. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Well, last week, um, we looked at a very familiar passage. Um, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, and, and the verses following it up to uh, verse 15. The, the passage which lends to a focus around the notion that there's an appropriate time for man to do this or, or that. Remember, the, the poem started off with a, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. Uh, and it went through uh, 28 uses of the word time, uh, encompassing all that man uh, can do, a time for this and a time for that. However, if you remember, we, we didn't take a, a human 
God-centered or a man-centered uh, approach to the passage. We looked at, at a more accurate God-centered approach uh, to the passage, noting that the passage isn't, isn't about man. It isn't about man. It's about God. And that God sets the times. We took a closer look at what the passage revealed about God, and we discovered that it actually says a lot about uh, God and how he has set a season and a time for, for every, every matter under heaven. And I, I believe this understanding of who God is directs us to be or to stand in awe of God, which was the preacher's intent of this, of this passage, of this text. Uh, he, he wrote it so that um, he, he was trying to get the Israelites to understand what God is doing for them and that they should stand in awe of him. Uh, because at the time, they weren't. They weren't standing in awe of him. And, and even 2,400 years plus years uh, after this, we can feel the sting of these words because we too tend to not stand in awe of God. We go on living as if we're here on our own. Uh, and it's with texts like this and with the prompting of the Holy Spirit that we learn to shift our thinking and change the way we act and the way we live so that we do worship God, so we do honor him. We also saw that God, within God's sovereignty, uh, at the fullness of time, at the perfect time, at the right time, God sent his son into the world to save man. This was for our benefit, not, not for anything that we had done, but simply because he loves us. But even more than that, all that was done for our benefit was to show his glory. His glory. So that we would worship him. That was last week. This week in our study, Koheleth continues with this, this theme of, of showing us that all is vanity. In the second part of this chapter, by describing the, the wickedness all around us. And then he goes on to tell us that we're no better off than the beasts. That we will die just like they do and return to dust. But again, he, he's doing this so as to, to, to wake us up from the slumber of of doing it on our own, realizing that, that we have a God that is far better than what we can ever attain here on earth under the sun without God. Remember that the, under the sun, all is vanity. All is vanity. Now, b before we go any further, let me, let me say something about this phrase, under the sun. It would be easy to assume that the phrase under the sun um, simply means here on earth. You would be right, but only partially right. Uh, remember that, that he's not talking about location under the sun being on earth. What, what he's saying is doing it without God. What he's saying is he's talking about here on earth without God. Trying to do it on our own. All that we attempt to do on our own without God is vanity. It amounts to nothing. 
without God. We can work and live and die, but it's just vapor. Because of sin, we, we have no ability to bring ourselves into heaven. We're undeserving. Because of sin, we have no, no standing with God. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you're uh, tremendously intelligent or exceedingly wealthy or extremely good looking. None of that matters. None of that matters when it comes time to stand before the judgment throne of our God. None are righteous. As it says in Romans 3, verse 10, none is righteous. No, not one. None of the children of man, that is. There is one. There is one who gave up his righteousness. Like we learned last week, who at the fullness of time, at God's perfect time, at the right time, the fullness of time, God did. God sent his son into the world, born of man to save the world. Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So there is hope. There is hope. And it, and it comes through the Son, Jesus Christ. Okay, so my plan this morning is to unpack these verses uh, so that we can discover what God intends for us from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And so I have two points. I have two points this morning. First, we'll look at the wickedness under the sun, and which is also my title uh, for this morning's message. Uh, wickedness under the sun, and then at the appropriate time, I'll reveal my second point. So let's begin with point number one, wickedness under the sun. Beginning in verse 16, uh, the preacher introduces a new subject, uh, wickedness, wickedness. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place under the sun without God, in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. There's, there's wickedness all around us. Even in the places where you, you'd expect to receive justice, there's, there's wickedness. In, in the courts where, where you'd, you'd expect to receive justice, some, some people who are innocent, get wrongly convicted. Those others that are guilty, um, maybe get let go. Sometimes it's the circumstances. Um, sometimes it's corruption, wickedness. But even in the hearts of those who try to behave justly and righteous, even in them, there is wickedness because man's heart is full of wickedness. Ever since the fall, there's no other way to describe man than to say he is wicked. We were born into wickedness. We, we can't escape it on our own. We can't overcome it 
on our own. We can't conquer it on our own. We are wicked. And wickedness is all around us. Some wickedness is easy to spot. For example, acts of terrorism, bombings, shootings, knivings, people being run over by vehicles. I'm sure you've seen the news. It seems to be happening weekly, if not more often. Genocide. In the past, like with Hitler and the killing of of Jews, uh, and in the not-so-distant past, like in Somalia. There's also oppression, where dictators oppress their own people, like in Syria, Venezuela, and North Korea. I, I saw a story the other day. In Egypt, two buses of Christians were on their way to a monastery to pray. When their buses were stopped by terrorists, 29 Christians were killed. 42 others were injured. Without going into a lot of detail, because it was very graphic and gory, here's what happened. After the buses were stopped by the terrorists, uh, the passengers, one by one, were asked to exit the bus. And as they exited, they were asked if they were Muslim. Now, all of them were Christian. So each was then given a chance uh, to renounce Jesus Christ and convert to Islam. As each passenger confessed Christ and refused, and refused to convert, he was dragged a few feet away. And I don't need to say what happened. The killers then began shooting at the other bus, injuring 42 other people. Then they quickly escaped. Atrocities like this are happening all over the world. This is pure wickedness, pure hatred, pure evil. Other acts of wickedness are, are not so easy to spot. For example, predators. People grooming others without them being aware that they are being manipulated or used or abused. This can happen in many forms. It's not limited to sexual abuse, uh, but can take on other forms like verbal abuse, oppression, control, manipulation, racism or discriminatory abuse, uh, neglect, physical abuse, psychological and emotional abuse, as well as many others. Generally, uh, those being abused are not aware of it until they are well into the abuse. And oftentimes, uh, even then, it's, it may be difficult to escape because of the control that they're under. Another form of wickedness that can often go unnoticed. One that I, I mentioned in the previous list is neglect. This can be neglect of the young or of the elderly. And in, and in both cases, it's, it's heartbreaking because the, the very young and the very old are often unable to speak for themselves, to answer for themselves or protect themselves. Now, fortunately, the, 
the extreme cases are rare. Uh, but my guess is that neglect happens more often than we care to acknowledge. To the outside world, the, the caretakers show compassion for those that they're caring for, but behind closed doors, it may be something totally different. Not as all, not, not at all as we would expect. There was a case recently of a social worker who was videotaped hitting and yelling at a 90-year-old woman she was taking care of. After she was found out, she was asked why she treated the woman um, she was caring for this way. And she answered uh, that she didn't mean to, to harm the old woman. Uh, she was just tired of working and, and had some personal problems that caused her frustration. And so she took it out on her. Wickedness. You'd expect goodness and loving care from the social worker, and there too was wickedness. Now again, the, these cases are rare, but even where you would expect kindness, there is wickedness. And it's hard not to get cynical. There are also other acts of wickedness that are maybe impossible to spot and are the most common. These are, these are acts of wickedness that happen within each and every one of us on a daily basis. For example, not so kind thoughts. Maybe I don't act on my thoughts, but they are still sinful and wicked. Lust, jealousy, greed. My heart is full of them, and although perhaps I don't act on them, they are still in my heart. I'm still sinning. I'm still wicked. Another example, and I didn't have a, a title for this, although I, I used, well, there, there are a lot of titles for this example because it, it, could, it could look in so many different forms, but here are some, some titles that I, I looked over. Judgment, um, Pride, selfishness. I landed on, on one that's not so obvious of a title because it is obvious. And it's obvious in the fact that it happens in a lot of different ways. And I used preference. Here's my example. And, and, and again, this example is just one specific story, but you can really elaborate and, and use it in a lot of different ways. Here, you know little Johnny likes grape snow cones. And you have two, one grape and one cherry. Now you saw Johnny be mean and push Sally down in the playground just five minutes ago. So you give the grape to Sally and the cherry to Johnny. Then you watch the disappointment in Johnny's face as you hand the grape snow cone to Sally. And in your heart is satisfaction, which is wicked. You didn't do anything bad. You gave each snow cone. They liked the snow cone. You had satisfaction because you were the judge. 
and you deemed out the punishment. Many other instances, which I'm sure you could bring to mind, that demonstrate wickedness. But for the most part, we're good, right? I often hear people say, and I say it myself, what is this world coming to? What is this world coming to? And yet, this is nothing new. Wickedness didn't just rear its ugly head in the 21st century. This has been going on at varying varying levels uh, since the fall of man. Take Cain and Abel, for example. Cain was the firstborn of Adam and Eve and was a farmer. Abel was the secondborn and was a herdsman. Both brought offerings as a sacrifice to God. And God had regard for Abel's offering, but he did not have regard for Cain's offering. And this made Cain angry and jealous. And so then in the field the next day he killed him. Because of the fall, sin and wickedness was already in him. But because of sin, he could not control his wickedness. Now, some might say, oh, come on, give me a break. Uh, There are some really good people out there. I, I know, I'm one. I've never done anything really bad. I'm a, I'm a good person for the most part. The mere fact that you're arguing for your righteousness means that you don't understand the holiness of God. And you understand even less that you're not even worthy to stand in the presence of God or look upon him because of your sin. Adam and Eve had it all. They were in the garden. They had all the food to eat that they could ever want. They they communed with God daily. They were in paradise. Yet, they disobeyed God. And so they were banished from the garden, banished from his presence. We inherit this banishment because we are from Adam and Eve. But that's not all that we inherited. We inherited sin. So there is wickedness all around us. The preacher gives us the standard answer. He gives us the standard answer for for wickedness or to wickedness. He says, uh, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. Verse 17 He says, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. He's he's reminding us that just a few verses ago, we read that God is sovereign. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. So that at the right time, God's appointed time, God will judge everyone. But wait a minute. If there is wickedness all around us and, and no one is righteous, why does, why does Solomon say that God will judge the righteous and the wicked? How can he say he's going to judge the righteous and the wicked if there's wickedness all around us under the sun? Here's why. 
because there are, there are going to be people who believe they are righteous. There are people who call themselves righteous. The Pharisees called themselves righteous. There are people who, who call themselves righteous for, who for the most part are good and feel they are deserving. And although Solomon didn't know it at the time, there will be some who are righteous because of the Savior. And they too will be judged. See, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. God is the judge. And no one who has ever lived will not be judged. All will be judged. For there is a time and a time for every matter and every work. Now, the remaining verses in chapter um, 3 speak to the fact that Man is no different than the beasts. It says, beginning in, chapter, in verse 19, for, for what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As, as one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. All is vanity. That, that's the rest of the chapter, but I want to switch gears. I want to switch gears here and bring us some hope. We, you know, we've been, we've been through three chapters of all is vanity. Um, uh, so for the remainder of, of our time this morning, we're, we're going to focus on some good news. We just read that at the appropriate time, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. Uh, there will be those who call themselves righteous and think they will get into heaven based on their good works or, or that they will merit entrance um, because they are good people. And there will, there will be those who are righteous, not because of anything they've done, but because of, of who they believe in and who they, they, they confess in as their Lord and Savior. Um, they are declared righteous by God, justified by faith because of Jesus. Um, that is the righteousness through Jesus Christ. And that, that, that's our second point for this morning. Uh, righteousness through Jesus Christ. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is in Matthew 5, Verse 48, he, he was telling the people that, that came uh, to the mount who were you know, sitting in front of him and he was beginning to teach them. Um, he was telling them that in order to get into heaven, you have to be perfect. Uh, perfect like your heavenly father is perfect. They had, no, no, they had to exceed, they had to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. That comes from being perfect. The Pharisees were considered righteous uh, because they followed the law. But that was only outward obedience to the law. Um, because uh, they were flesh, they also had uh, inward... Um, I'm sorry. So, where am I? Uh, because they were flesh, they also, they also sinned 
inwardly. Okay, so in other words, they sinned with their heart and with their minds or their or their thoughts. So uh, and 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 to be outwardly obedient, but to sin inwardly uh, wasn't good enough. This is what Jesus was saying. He says you. You have, to be, you have to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees who were uh, obedient outwardly, but still sinned inwardly. So he was saying you have to be beyond that. You have to be perfect. Okay? In order to enter the kingdom of God, you had to be perfect, perfectly sinless, both inwardly and outwardly. They must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. Now, if your response to that is, well, I... I can't be perfect. I can be good, but I can't be perfect. Uh, You would be absolutely correct. You can be good sometimes. (laughs) We can't be perfect. We can try as hard as we we can, but the truth is, on our own and and by our own efforts, we, we cannot be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. We are unable because of indwelling sin. And no matter how hard we try, we can never attain um, God's standard of perfection. Now, I know you're thinking, so where where does that leave me? Where's where's this hope that you were going to talk about? the The hope is in the righteousness of Christ. You see, Jesus didn't come into the world to sacrifice his life by dying on on the cross. He didn't come just to do that. A a sacrifice like that by a normal man would have been uh, not not good enough to pay for his own life, let alone the the sins of the whole world. He had to be perfect as his heavenly Father was perfect. And then and only then would his sacrifice be sufficient So that's just what he did. He came into this world to live a perfect life in full obedience to the law, in thought, in word, and in action. He lived a life of perfect righteousness and therefore his sacrifice was sufficient. Paul writes in in Romans chapter 3, Verse 21, I think we have a slide yet. He writes, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Through our faith in Christ, the righteousness of God is given to us. This is called imputed righteousness. Imputed meaning given or ascribed to. 
When we place our trust in Christ, when we put our faith in Jesus, God ascribes the perfect righteousness of Christ unto us so that we become perfect in his sight. And at the same time, our sin is imputed unto Christ, which he then took to the cross. This is how our sin debt was paid to God. Our sin was placed on Jesus, and Jesus took the full wrath of God for our sin as if it was his own. And in fact, our sins became his as his righteousness became ours. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. He was perfect. He knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. By believing in Jesus, by confessing that Jesus is my Savior and that he sacrificed his life for me and for my sins, I receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ and therefore become right with God. And so when the day comes when when God will judge the righteous and the wicked, he will see me as righteous because of his son. The same happens for all who believe. The same happens for all who believe and confess Jesus as their Lord and Savior. If you haven't done that, come talk to me. I want to tell you a story. A wonderful story of how Jesus died for your sins. Solomon says in in verse 17 that that God will judge the righteous and the wicked. Paul affirms in Romans 3, 26, that God will judge the righteous. Look, it says here at the latter part of verse 26, so that he, God, might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So that God might be just and the justifier of the righteous. Jesus. Let me tie all this back to the last few verses of chapter 3. Yes, yes, without God, under the sun, we're all like beasts. For all is vanity. Look, it says here, So I saw that there is nothing better than a man should rejoice in his work, for that it is his lot. Sounds like he's giving up. Sounds like he's saying, well, there's nothing, nothing more that I could do. Might as well enjoy life. Might as well enjoy my work because there's nothing else I can do. All is vanity anyway. Well, he's right. Under the sun, without God, all is vanity. There's nothing more for us. But through Jesus Christ, through the righteousness that Jesus Christ gives us from his death for our sins, we do have something more to look forward to. So we can live in our life today, work and rejoice in the lot that we are given because we know of something better. 
we know of something better. The day that we are judged, God's going to look on us as righteous because he doesn't see us in our sin anymore. He sees his son, his perfect son. As the band comes up, let me summarize and close with this. Yes, there is, there is wickedness all around us. Even in places where we expect justice or righteousness, even in those places, there is wickedness. It's unfair. It's the result of living in a fallen world. But, but God, at his appropriate, at his appointed time, his perfect time, will judge both the righteous and the wicked he will make right what was wrong. And if we have received Jesus' righteousness, then our judgment, our judgment will bring us into heaven where we will be able to enjoy God forever. And while we live on this side of heaven, let's proclaim what Paul said in Galatians 2.20 where he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's pray. Father God, Because of your son. When we believe in him and we confess in him as our savior. We can say. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And then we have the assurance. That on the day of judgment when God comes to judge the righteous and the wicked. He will look upon us and say, well done, my faithful son. You are righteous. Come and enjoy me. Lord, so now as we live in this side of heaven, help us. Help us to see beyond the wickedness that's all around Help us to not be discouraged. Help us to remember who lives in us. In Jesus' name, amen.